0: Our first reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, and this can be found on page 737. (coughs) Isaiah, chapter 49, commencing at verse 8, the restoration of Israel. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you, and in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritance, to say to the captives, Come out, and to those in darkness, Be free. They would fear. They will feed beside the roads and find pastures on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they come from afar some from the north, some from the west, some from the regions of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
1: second reading is from Luke 13 and uh, you can find that on page 1046 verse 10 on a Sabbath Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years she was bent over And couldn't straighten up at all when Jesus saw her he called her forward and said to her woman you're set free from your infirmity then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath the synagogue leader said to the people there are six days for work so come and be healed on those days not on the Sabbath The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thanks be to God. Thank you both. Just looking at the time there doesn't make any difference really, but I thought I should look at it. Let's pray. Father we thank you that time is in your hands for you are Lord. And Lord who reached out and touched this woman today would you touch us with your authority through your word that we too may rise up and be renewed in Christ and see you face to face in all your glory. Be revealed this day as we open your word. For we long to see Jesus. Amen. Well, I've had a funny eye. (laughs) I've had an eye infection this week in my right eye. And what's been interesting is people's reactions to it, quizzically. And they're trying to work out what's going on. Other people are a little bit more sort of open. What's wrong with your eye? Somebody said. It was quite shocking, really. But uh, good pastoral move there, I thought. But anyway, but it was just different reactions to how sometimes Somebody's gaze falls upon us, that that we can be drawn so easily by different things in a way. And it's almost as if Luke, like that, you know, the deaf person drawing our mouth so we can understand. It's like Luke is trying to draw us as he's gone from chapter 4 with the anointed and the sent one of Jesus Christ into the world to proclaim the kingdom of God that is here and that is now. He wants us to see Jesus, and he wants us to see that we are not rejected, but we're accepted That we are not condemned, but we're saved. That we're not lost, but we're found. That we're not dead, that we are alive. And this is all because Jesus, the anointed and sent one, is here. And this is the message that he's taking, Jesus. as He goes around from town to town. And this morning we see that he arrives in a village on the Sabbath. And as was his custom, makes his way to the synagogue. This is what Seems Jesus did on the Sabbath, and it's full of people. And among them is herself a woman who's made the journey there to the synagogue. Not an easy journey to make, because Luke describes her as a cripple. She's a crippled woman, and adds in detail as Luke would, because he was a doctor, he looked at people, he observed, he saw what was wrong with them, he'd seen or found out this woman had been crippled for 18 years, gripped by an evil spirit that was causing this deformity. So it's somebody who is, who's been ill for a very, very long time. And it's almost as if people have got used to seeing her like this. This is the crippled woman. That is what she's known as, and nothing else. And so it's amazing that in verse 11 of chapter 13, when you wonder, when these people wear these braces, what would Jesus do? This is what Jesus does. This is what he does. And the first thing he does in verse 11 is... He sees her. Amidst all the crowd on that day in the synagogue, Jesus' gaze falls upon this woman. And we need to stop and just observe this. We so rush on in the Bible because we're used to reading. We were taught to read and we move from word to word to word. But we need to stop and receive this word that Jesus sees her. And so it is for us. Jesus sees you. And a unique gaze falls on my life, and it falls on yours. It isn't a cold, sterile look, analytical, but a look that goes deeper. It's a look that looks right into you, really. I've often thought of myself as a prayer book reminds me a miserable sinner <laughs> distorted, bent over by the weight of my never being quite right, never good enough. And over many years now, God has been gazing at me and trying to get me to see myself as he sees me in Christ. And Thomas Merton writes, no human being is life's poor creation. Isn't that lovely? No human being, the crippled woman, could be seen as a poor creation of the world. But no human being is life's poor creation. We are loved by love precisely for being the fallible, fragile, flawed creatures that we are. Note, he says, that not today, not in spite of our fallibility, our fragility, but because of it. We are loved as we are. And so often our gaze only falls on what's wrong with something. I do it, unfortunately. I can walk into a room from my training and hotel, and I can see immediately the salt's not in the right place. I just, I just do it. It's terrible, terrible at home. I can just see something that is not right, because you have to look over a room and see, right, what isn't right here, and what's missing? And so we see the faults. And light is what reveals such imperfections. It's been really sunny, but then you see the dust in your room, don't you? You sit down, poof, all this dust goes up in the air. But the light of God, as David was praying for, is never merciless. And later, the woman you see is going to gaze into the glorious light of the face of Christ, the first face she will have seen for many years. And know deep within her that incredibly, generously, her fallible, fragile spirit is being transformed by one degree to another into glory. And Jesus' gaze falls upon the woman, and she exposes herself to him, everything that she is, and he gazes on her. And Sister Wendy Beckett writes, with the creative eye of holy love, his gaze is transforming. He does not leave us in our poverty, in the dust. She was looking at the dust. But draws into being all we are meant to become. No one can ever know us through and through, know why we are what we are, what has oppressed us, distorted his image in us, what inherited weaknesses and strengths we have, or what wounds or insights have come from our life's journey, how they have shaped us, molded us. And maybe you need to hear this this morning, that God gazes upon you Fallible, fragile, and flawed, with love. You may really need to hear that. God sees you in your absolute truth, and he's here in this village, in this synagogue, at this moment, looking at this woman. This is God. This is what God does. And sometimes it's really hard to look someone in the eyes, particularly if we're trying to hide something from them. But Jesus just keeps looking. He loves. And gazing upon you, he yearns for you to know how very welcome you are. And our journey in this story in Luke, who wants us to know we're accepted and not rejected, who wants us to know we're found and not lost, begins with this fact. Jesus looks at her. How do you think Jesus looks at you? Do you think he only sees the faults? But then he not only looks at her, he speaks to her. And what struck you from his words to her? He does not say, stand up straight, but he says, you are free from your disability. As if it's a reality now. And then he touches the woman and she stands up. And Jesus is on a journey, and he's teaching about the kingdom and about faith, and he says, you are free. Not you will be free, or you might be free, but you are free. Receive that freedom. And she was straightened. And it's a passive form of the verb. Here, the author of the healing is God, and he's affirmed by the woman who just praises God immediately. She thinks this healing has come from God, not from the man in front of her, but from God. She praises God for what's happened in her life, that no longer is she looking at the dust, she's now staring Christ in the face. And that enables her to make a journey away from that synagogue completely different, completely new, and renewed because of the words that Jesus spoke to her. What words do you treasure up in your heart and in your mind? That renew you. I am the resurrection and the life. That's what Jesus said. Perhaps you need to hear those words today. I am the good shepherd. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Come, sell all you have and follow me. What are the words of Christ that you carry in you that transform the way you leave this building this morning? What do you take with you? What do you take into the world? That affirms in you the truth of who you are in Christ. For he not only looks at you, he actually speaks to you. And his words have power. They really, really do. One of the most amazing things in ministry is the way you see God working in people's lives. And it's like seeing that picture that goes from ape, you know, we're crawling and then suddenly you come up like this, you know, I can't remember what it's called now, but you see it on backs of cars sometimes. And it's like people just growing growing into who they're truly meant to be because they're gazed with in love, but also because of words of truth that have the power, because they're Christ's words, to speak into people's lives. God looks at you, and God speaks to you this morning. But there is something deeper going on here that is about renewal, not just a physical healing, Something deeper, a deeper thing Luke is asking us to look through. Luke, who had no MRI scanners or these wonderful x-rays, but he wants us to go deeper, to see a deeper image here in what happens next. What happens next, often in Scripture, we see a contrast. We have this woman praising God for what has happened. And then we have the leader of the synagogue, oh a bit grumpy, a bit grumpy, probably from Yorkshire, but grumpy, you know. Not that all people from Yorkshire are grumpy, obviously, but anyway. Terrible, terrible. But he's indignant. He's indignant. And the leader speaks to the crowd. And he vents his anger on them. There are six days to work, and on the Sabbath you should rest. So don't come here looking for healing on the Sabbath. Imagine hearing that. Imagine hearing that. And you think, what have I done? What have I done? Oh, guilt, blame. The church is so good at that. Anyway. We move on. We must move on. Anyway, And he makes them feel positively unwelcome. Why does the leader not shout at Jesus? And so often we don't put our anger where it should go, really. We put it on those who love us most sometimes. We don't want to confront somebody with how we're truly feeling. And instead, the leader chooses to speak to the crowd, not to Jesus. Hypocrisy is how he judges the people in the synagogue. He believes they've made the journey to the synagogue with bad intentions, just for the experience of meeting and seeing Jesus and wanting healing from him. He reckons to know their motive for being there is not a true one. So he ignores the truth of the situation by ignoring Jesus. He hides himself behind the innocent people who've gathered that day. But we can't be too hard on this leader, for it's me too. I'm afraid I don't confront a person directly at times. So I hide my fear of the truth. And it's so much easier just to go with the crowd, to go along with the flow, and not to stand up to what is unjust. And not many truly like confrontation. But the leader identifies the problem is that of healing on the Sabbath. That's what's gone wrong here. Somebody's been healed on the Sabbath. And in verse 15, Jesus gives the leader an answer. And Jesus, you see, is able to confront. He, he's able to say what he wants to say. He isn't bound. Jesus himself is free to be who truly he is. And so he calls the leader to stop, to stop and contemplate what he is saying. And he does this by saying, What you do for what is yours, a donkey, let me do for what belongs to me, a precious, wounded child of God, who has been bond- in bondage for some 18 years, he repeats. He knows this woman. Jesus, who's turned up in a town, a village that he's not been to perhaps for, knows this woman. He knows that she's been enslaved by this for 18 years. You think the synagogue leader would know? But Jesus is revealing he knows. And Jesus is saying there is a gap between what we do and what we say. In essence, he says, we're hypocrites. You do for this animal for keeping healthy. How much more should this be done for a daughter of Abraham? You do this for your animals. You take them to water so they would survive. But here is a daughter of Abraham who's been enslaved for 18 years. And you think what I'm doing is wrong? Put yourself in the place of the leader of the synagogue. What would you have answered, Jesus? Thirst must be quenched for animals or they die. If they die, I lose my livelihood. She's been crippled for 18 years. What's one more day? What's one more day that isn't the Sabbath that you could have done this on? But Jesus speaks about the identity of the woman. We began with calling her a cripple. He now calls her a daughter of Abraham. And here lies the heart of the journey that Jesus is making. Remember, acceptance found alive. He's running to this crippled woman. And the truth of who she is should be made known on the Sabbath. The truth of who this woman is should be made known on the Sabbath. And the contrast is that the leader is concerned with what we do. Jesus is concerned with who we are. And that we know we are sons and daughters of God. Children of God. He sees her, he speaks to her, and he renews her identity. And the leader uses Exodus. We can have that on the screen, Exodus 20, next slide, thank you. There, Exodus 20 suddenly appears. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. This is a scripture that the leader is using in his argument. But Jesus, and he states this as the law to the crowd, it's a law that should be kept through Exodus 20, verse 11. But Jesus answers from the book of Deuteronomy. Let's go to the next slide. Let's see the contrast of verses 13 and 15. Six days you shall labor and do all... Oh, Americans, sorry. Welcome, Americans. Thank you. Uh, and all your, do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or your donkey, or any of your animals, or any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember, remember identity. Remember, we're thinking about identity. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out Of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath not to just stop from work but to do what What? to remember to remember that once you were a slave you were in bondage but now you have been set free you have been delivered. It's about remembering who we are, remembering that we are set free from what bends us, distorts us, to recognize the wounds that we have, the suffering, the hurts that have disfigured us, which in life can make us feel so unwelcomed, feeling as people wouldn't want to look at us, wouldn't want to speak to us. This is how the woman felt for 18 years of her life. Jesus comes to town, transforms that. He sees her, he speaks to her, he renews her identity completely. This is the ministry of the church. For this welcome will open us up towards God's goodness and help us to discover our true identity and that God in Christ has set us free. And we begin a whole new journey. And I've seen many people make that journey. So... Finally, dear saints, we're thinking of the 45. The 45 people who aren't here yet, who you know, who God knows, who you are drawing, who you are calling, through you being a disciple of Jesus Christ, through being a witness because Christ is in you, with the knowledge that he has gazed upon you with love, with the words that you are filled with as you go out, with the renewed identity you have, that you are no longer what the world makes you, but you are children of God, and how the world needs to know that they are children of God, beloved sons and daughters, and set free from what the world enslaves them to. Who do you know who is being bent low, who needs to come here into the home of grace, be gazed upon by love, be transformed by the words of Christ, and be renewed in their spirit. Who do you know? Who has God put on your heart? Who is God bringing? Because it's only gonna happen through you and God, at work, in partnership, in friendship. So dear Saints at Walcott, how will you go out this week, and how are you gonna reveal the face of Christ? How am I gonna reveal the face of Christ? Will you look at people and be squirting at them, thinking, oh, what's wrong with you? You've got something wrong with your eye. Might call me an eyesore just terrible, awful, it's contagious, this this humour. How are you going to look at people? How are you going to look at the people you work with? How are the people you're going to look at who are perhaps your kids, in your class, in your family? How are you going to look at the mums who you have water with in Marks and Spencers? How are you going to look at people? How are you going to reveal the gaze of Christ? Because you know he's gazing at you. And make him known. Saints of Walcott. Will we speak words into people's lives? Will we speak words of Jesus that we know have power to heal and to save and transform? They may not be direct words. They may be words spoken in all kinds of different ways. But sometimes they are words that are needed. Where you know, where something's going on in your spirit, that Christ is wanting you to speak. And pray he gives you the wisdom, the grace, to be doing it with seasoned with salt and grace. But a grit sometimes is needed, but also grace. How are you going to speak to people in the way Christ has spoken to you this week? It is this simple. It is this costly. Saints of Walcott, will we, will we renew people's identity that they are not what the world makes them? Will we remind them of that this week? But they are so precious and loved as children of God. Let us, as God's beloved children, follow Christ in the ministry of seeing this week, speaking this week, and renewing this week. Saints of Walcott, many have done that centuries before us. We simply have to continue seeing, speaking, renewing in the name of Christ. And as you come to this table, be renewed the way Christ looks at you, speaks at you, and thank him for transforming you from slavery into the freedom of life with him. This is so important to share, so important. Close your eyes, please, and imagine The lady is coming to Jesus, the cripple. Gaze upon this scene as you hear these words. She is unfolding, upwardly wending, mending upon mending, her years of tending only to the dust below. She is unfolding. See her hands spreading, reaching and heading for the one who is bringing his untethered living. She is unfolding, her body uncurling, face slowly upturning, and inside she is burning to see the Lord of life who is yearning for her to be free hallelujah
1: amen